Hey y'all. It's the Christmas season, and some of my podcasts and Investopods and friends wanted to bring you a Christmas time collaboration. You'll hear stories told by creators from the following podcasts. Deep Dark Secrets, True Crime PI, Extinguished, Crimepedia, Walking the Line, Murder and Mimosas, Crime Over Cocktails, True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People, Your Favorite True Crime Podcast with Gavin Fish, and me, Richie Buck from Santa Maybe a Criminal. I'm going to remind you what I always remind you, but this right here is what we in the biz call a trigger warning. So here goes. This podcast contains talk about criminal activity, including violence and murder. It may include a few cuss words, and it's probably not appropriate for your youngins, so you might want to earmuff them or send them outside to play. Now, before we get started, I want to mention three more things. I know, I know, get to it, Buck, but we Southerners like to talk. First up, any opinions in these stories are solely those of the specific creators presenting the story. Suspects mentioned in these tales are considered innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law, and these are real stories about real people. People who experience unimaginable horror and tragedy. The most important thing we can do to honor the victims and the families of these stories is play an active role in our justice system, remain vigilant in our understanding of our surroundings, and support organizations that work to make sure these stories remain the exception and not the rule. And just so you know, some of these stories are going to be long, some of them are going to be short, but you never know what you're going to get until you tune in. Thanks for listening. She had an angel spirit, which is unusual not only among adults, but children, and I'm just devastated she's gone. Boulder, Colorado. Christmas. 1996. Snowflakes. Christmas lights. Stockings. Ornaments on trees. Eggnog. All the hope in the world. All the joy in the world. Shattered because a monster followed in Santa Claus's bootsteps and took the life of a precious little girl. A little girl the world would simply come to know as Jean Bonnet. If you're listening to this episode, you probably have some idea about her case, about her heartbreaking demise. As such, I won't recount every detail. I'll give those who aren't familiar, however, some framework. First, let's look at the moment in time. Bonnet's death came just two and a half years after the brutal murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. The subsequent coverage of that crime, before, during, and after the trial, created a frenzied news media, audience, and advertisers. That trial and its many characters captured the nation's attention around the clock. The coverage would pave the way for processes and procedures utilized in the handling of high-profile crimes, such as the murder of Jean Bonnet. Her story seemed prime for the executives who directed armies of reporters, camera people, and resources to places of true terror, something we still see to this day. Unfortunately, with scrutiny comes pressure, and with pressure comes speculation. As such, I want to reiterate that the suspect mentioned here is considered innocent until and unless proven otherwise, 
and I urge you to listen to this whole episode because where you think it's going could drastically change by the end. You always hear me say it, Santa may be a criminal, but could he be a killer? We're going to set the scene of JonBenet's death, but we're going to focus mainly on one suspect because it ties into our Christmas theme, a man who dressed as Santa Claus and brought joy to neighborhood parties, a man who brought suspicion to himself by what could be perceived as odd statements and behaviors. That man's name was Bill McReynolds, but he was also known as Santa Bill. Imagine, if you will, it's Christmas morning and home is filled with the giggles of two young children. The laughter belongs to nine-year-old Burke and six-year-old Jean Benet. Burke has short, dark hair. In most pictures, it's swept to the side. He is mostly forgotten in this story. In fact, he won't be mentioned much here but I do want to acknowledge the unimaginable pain he must have faced since he was nine years old. His sister, Jean Benet, is six years old in December of 1996. She's blonde and very pretty. In fact, she's already successful. Jean Benet and Burke's mother, Patsy, was a Miss America contestant, and she sees the same potential in her little girl. Their father, John, is a successful businessman, Patsy is his second wife, and Burke and Jean Monnet are their biological children. They live in a nearly 7,000 square foot home in a suburb of Boulder. Nothing from the outside would seem an issue, but there were scores of break-ins in the area leading up to the fateful day we are going to discuss. John and Patsy's focus, however, was on their children. Jean Monnet was the one who gladly took the stage. She was a natural. She always stole the show. However, despite the glitter and spotlight that was such a regular part of Jean Monnet's life, when the makeup was off and she was not on stage, she was a pretty normal six-year-old. Bill Briggs, a Denver Post staff writer, wrote in a piece titled The Girl Behind the Case that once during a visit, family member Irene Willis recalled Jean Monnet coming down for breakfast. I was sitting at the table. Jean Monnet sat down, folded her little hands, and said her prayers said them out loud. She continued. She was a typical six-year-old, a very loving child. While the family was affluent, all reports indicate that Jean Monnet was either unaware of the family's status or uninterested. She never acted like a little rich girl. Instead, she fawned over a puppy she received on her fourth birthday and was excited to ride the bike she got on the last day of her life. The Girl Behind the Case article by Bill Briggs goes on to say her teachers characterized her as thoughtful, courteous, respectful, diligent. Since this case has been covered so comprehensively by so many conscientious journalists, podcasts, news outlets, and other creators, I'll only share the most basic details and forego the most graphic. The timeline, according to Biography.com, is purposely sparse, but is the following. On Christmas Day... Chaminet received a bicycle. That evening, the Ramseys attended a Christmas party at a friend's home. Upon the arrival back to their house, Chaminet went to bed. The following morning, Patsy Ramsey awoke at around 5.30 a.m. to make coffee. It's then that she discovered a handwritten ransom note. Now, if you've never read this ransom note, I encourage you to do so. It is truly bizarre. 
You see the note had very specific personal details relevant to the Ramses, particular to an upcoming financial windfall for John. But it was also filled with bizarre phraseology and very specific movie quotes that would seem to fit the M.O. of the purported crime. Though the letter instructed the Ramses to leave the police out of it, Patsy called 911 to report her daughter's kidnapping. Before 6 a.m., uniformed patrol officers started to arrive at the Ramsey home. A search was conducted, but no sign of Jean Benet was found at that time. According to Newsweek, the door Jean Benet was to be found behind was never opened during the initial search. By the early afternoon, detectives were on scene and another search was conducted. While leading that search, John opened the door to the basement spare room and discovered his daughter's lifeless body. He quickly grabbed her and raced her upstairs. A father's raw grief, and then the inability by the police to control the crime scene, ended up causing much of the evidence to be tainted. That night, Chaminet's body was removed from her home. An autopsy determined that she died of asphyxiation due to strangulation, but that she'd also suffered a blood on her head. As in any case in the death of a child, the family is looked at first. That's how investigations start. Small because statistically, we're more likely to be harmed by those closest to us than a stranger. As people are ruled out, the sphere of potential persons of interest expands. So the Ramses were scrutinized for the murder. It should be noted that they were wholly cooperative at the beginning of the investigation. But my look at this case isn't through the framing of the family at all. Instead, it's of one man who had reason to love Christmas, had a special affection for Jean Benet, and also access to the Ramsey family. And so now we will look at Santa Bill. She had an angel spirit, which is unusual not only among adults, but children, and I'm just devastated that she's gone. That quote from the top of the episode was from Santa Bill. He was a retired journalism professor who grew a long, full, white beard, and he was popular around the neighborhoods at Christmas time. I mean, at least all he had to do is put on a suit. He didn't need a strap of fake beard around his jaw. But he did do something extra that caught Patsy Ramsey's eye, according to Bill Briggs, and urged her to hire him. He sprayed festive gold glitter into his beard. He characterized Jean Benet as having an angelic glow. According to Briggs, he also stated the little girl as having pensive and retiring ways, and he loved her quiet smile. After looking at everything as a whole, it's clear that Santa Bill had a unique affection for the pageant princess. At the 1995 Christmas party, as he was getting ready to leave, Chaminet approached him and handed him a small container with gold glitter inside. She said it was stardust. Santa Bill was shocked. Children never gave him presents. He's quoted as saying later, The stardust was all I took with me for good luck when I had heart surgery. Her murder was harder on me than my operation. She made a profound change in me. He also claimed to not have the same relationship with other children they had with Jean Benet. Shockingly, that included his own children and grandchildren. He is quoted again, When I die, I'm going to be cremated. I've asked my wife to mix the stardust Jean Benet gave me with my ashes. We're going to go up behind the cabin here and have it blow away in the wind. Odd. The day before Jean Benet's body was discovered, at the Christmas party of 1996, she gave Santa Bill another vial of glitter. It's reported by CNN via Bustle that he also gave Jean Benet a card that read, 
you will receive a special gift after Christmas. Other oddities surround Santa Bill's proximity to the case. His wife Janet wrote about the 1965 torture and murder of Sylvia Likens from Indianapolis. The play, entitled Hey Rube, outlined a fictional traumatization of Likens' death at the hand of the woman whose home she was currently staying in. The play was roundly panned by the New York Times. The paper stated, The play serves little purpose except to reveal her own deficiencies as a dramatist and the weakness of the cast and its director. Another odd similarity. The McReynolds' daughter and a friend were abducted on December 26, 1974. Their daughter was forced to witness her friend be sexually assaulted. No suspects were ever identified in that case. Of course, December 26th, is when Jaminet was found. At Jaminet's funeral, Bill Briggs reports that Santa Bill walked up to Patsy and handed her one of the vials of glitter he'd been gifted from Jaminet. Patsy asked him if he would be back at the party next year. He said that it wouldn't happen. He'd retired. It would be too painful to ever wear the red and white again. It should be stated that John and Patsy did name Santa Bill as a potential suspect in their book, The Death of Innocence. But none of the above proves anything to the standard that our justice system requires to even place an arrest. At the end of the day, there wasn't enough to pursue anything against Santa Bill or his wife Janet, though those theories are certainly out there, that they conspired together. But there is no real proof of their involvement. Both he and Janet cooperated with police, sharing hair and handwriting samples, and they were both subsequently cleared. If he had nothing to do with Jean Bonnet's death, no doubt the suspicion and pain pursued Santa Bill until his death in 2002. I'm certainly not in the field of psychology, but I do personally think, based on what we have here, that he likely had an inappropriate infatuation with Jean Bonnet. That said, I personally do not think he carried out this crime, and there seems to recently be a different suspect that seems very promising. Turning things back to the start of our episode, rampant speculation and pulling attention away from the victim does create a lot of battle lines to be drawn. In 2002, Santa Bill died of a heart attack. He was 72 years old. Janet, his wife, told the paper that after his retirement from the University of Colorado, they moved to Rollinsville, and that is when his fascination with Santa Claus began. She stated, He really took the role as his life goal. He loved being Santa. He loved little children. And then the Ramsey case destroyed that career and just devastated him. He loved that little girl. It was a very sad thing in his life because he genuinely loved children, and it was the happiest part of his life. At Bill's death, he and Janet lived in Cape Cod. Perhaps an escape, far away from the people that were vilifying him and the rumors that were gnawing away at his soul. It's said he was very affected by the suspicion in those final years. Janet stated in the daily camera for his obituary, he was scarred. He was just so devastated by the mere idea anyone would suspect him of a crime. In fact, McReynolds previously told the Rocky Mountain News that, I know I had absolutely nothing to do with it. You know, I always told my students to seek the truth. Now, I'm on the other side of it. I'm probably naive and stupid. In an interview with Wolf Blitzer on Larry King Live before his death, McReynolds said these words that perhaps provide context to the things we've already discussed. I don't believe that when I say she was pensive, that that was a change of what she was on the stage. She was a very sweet, smiling child. But as I said, she believed in me so completely as Santa 
that we had a different kind of relationship than we might have had otherwise. What you're seeing on the video to me is not Jean Benet. I see right through that into some other kind of precocious child, a loving child, a wonderful child, and we're going to be all the worse for her not being here with us anymore. She told me once that she wanted to be a model or an ice skating star. What's wrong with that? I mean, we honor that. We really need to look more at ourselves rather than criticizing this little girl or the Ramses or the police or anybody else. Let's start seeking the angel in ourselves every time we abuse a child in any way. Every child is special. We are abusing ourselves and the child in ourselves. I want to roll this back to where the conversation started, the packaging and placement of these difficult stories in our media landscape. These are the stories that should be shared. They should be showcased to honor the victims, to uphold the system, and to provide a caution to those who may be vulnerable. But it is my firm opinion that these stories must be handled with the highest amount of care. While speculation gets us nowhere but backwards, it re-victimizes and re-traumatizes those who need help the most. Seeking notoriety or gain off of these cases that are not rooted in fact or record is simply unconscionable. Stories, particularly those involving children, affect me, and I suspect many of us, in very deep and alarming ways. It's incomprehensible that someone could take that innocence away from a darling child, so anytime a piece is missing, we look for anything to complete the puzzle and cancel out the void in our own soul. But for every family who has dealt with a lost loved one, we should honor them with the presentation of both sides. That's what the justice system was meant to be. For what it's worth, I don't think Santa Bill had anything to do with JonBenet's murder. I think, after looking into it, that many of the situations surrounding him were mere coincidence or taken out of context. And context is an important thing. But it's not the most important thing here. The most important thing here is a beautiful little girl by the name of JonBenet Ramsey, whose life was taken from this earth by someone. Someone stopped her from riding her bike down the streets of her Boulder neighborhood. Someone stopped her from getting puppy kisses. Stopped her from playing with Burke and winning other pageants. That someone shattered a family and awoke a commercial engine that roars to this day, which gives nothing back to the memory of Jean Benet, a six-year-old girl who was described as thoughtful and loving by everyone that knew her. She was the little girl with the million-dollar smile, the little girl who stole the show, and the little girl who gave gifts to Santa Claus. Rest in peace, JonBenet Ramsey, and her mother, Patricia Patsy Ramsey, who passed before any answers were found. God bless their family as they continue their search for answers. Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the plains And the mountains in reply Echoing their joy strength
I urge you to listen to all the podcasts that are contributing to this project. Deep Dark Secrets, True Crime P.I., Extinguished, Crimepedia, Walking the Line, Murder in Mimosas, Crime Over Cocktails, True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People, Your Favorite True Crime Podcast with Gavin Fish, and of course, Santa May Be a Criminal. Now, remember, always, 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 Be nice.